Okay, so first of all, you're right. Roland does not refer to Morgan by name. He calls him by some joshing, pejorative nicknames. Other than that, your changes to the scene at the TV station are fine. One exception to that, Roland does not come back with a written list of these shell companies. He has one name he can give. Um, This is partly because his uh, source of information isn't the kind of being that really remembers the names of mere human institutions. It would have been able to tell Roland this one because it has a sort of occult significance and Roland would have laughed at it. The one name of the one holding company that he has is just called Uncle Al Holdings. So, other than that, the only other change to the scene at the TV station is when he's giving his sort of monologue explaining uh, what he's bringing to them and why he's doing it and his whole Good Samaritan routine, he starts to notice people in the newsroom coming up to where he is, trying to film him on their phones. They don't appear to be succeeding, so they keep tapping their screens and looking confused. But then there's a guy who looks like he's maybe in his late 20s, dressed sort of uh, business casual but expensive, who's got this big matte black sort of sleek looking camera on his shoulder. And at, at first glance, Morgan thinks it's an old TV camera, like an old analog camera, but it actually looks much newer than that when he gives it a, a closer look. So some sort of high-tech camera that that guy points directly at him and uh, doesn't monkey with as much. So people trying to record him on their phones, probably not succeeding. This guy with the high-tech thing, who looks like he's somebody important at the station, he may have been successful. Um, So they... The station didn't get its full-on interview with him, but they may have some tape of him that they can play later on, as he will find out. So after that, he leaves the station and tunes his magical radio to the Berg while he starts to head back to a rendezvous point that he set with the members of the Monster Squad who are helping him. One of the first things that he hears is that a the local chapter of the Longshoremen's Union, who are guys who work the river, work uh, river boats, many of which are trash barges or just do sort of local shipping or are uh, tourism industry kind of ships, little like Stringersburg River cruise kind of things. Anyway, this Longshoremen's Union has gone out on strike. They uh, are apparently not demanding better pay or conditions, but have some sort of vaguely articulated political demand that seems to put them in the strongman camp. They have a kind of critique of the city government. They're saying that, uh, you know, the election was rigged. They're saying that uh, they... They know they're going to lose contracts because of their politics, but they've sort of gone out 
ahead of all of these problems and just sort of preemptively gone on strike. The Berg's reporters are quite dubious about all of their claims. This news has to share space, though, with a report coming from the Berg's other main news reporter, who uh, Morgan hears live for a moment as follows. The scene of the downtown office building here where a sixth floor office of uh, Uncle Al Holdings recently came under attack by members of the so-called Monster Squad, uh, recently thought to be uh, uh, disbanded after the conflict with uh, the uh, uh, villain for hire, the uh, 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 mercenary meta known as the Nihilist. Talking here with... uh, Security, uh, building security supervisor, John, uh, who gives a fuck, and, uh, So, apparently his team has struck one of, uh, disastrous holding companies. There's no word about any attack on the SEPT's facility, their, their mansion, but, um... As he is heading over the rooftops toward this rendezvous point, which is in a sort of run-down industrial park in another corner of the sink, Morgan feels a sort of weird ripple go through the air and uh, sees a, a flight of the surveillance drone whizzing in formation not far from him. They're going in some sort of direct path as a big cluster. And once they've gone by uh, a couple of them at the tail end of this like diamond-shaped formation that they're in, peel off and come back sort of toward him start flying around his area. They don't seem to be picking up on him exactly, but they're picking up on something in his vicinity. They make a sort of circle around the area that he's in, sort of turning in all directions, trying to pick up anything and everything in that area. And then they head back the way that they came, um, which is basically toward... Um, the center of the city where a lot of the government buildings are and some of the nice uh, downtown business real estate. So eventually he reaches this derelict warehouse. Uh, By the time he gets there, it's uh, nightfall. He stops on the way to like cup a cheeseburger or something, eat a granola bar that he's got stashed in his suit somewhere. And he's in the alley outside of uh, this, this warehouse that's being slowly sold off for parts when he sees um, Mads Bitter and the Knife coming up. They look, they both look a little giddy 
Well, no. Spitter looks giddy. The knife just looks like a guy in a weird... Uh, red costume with a mask. So they come up and Spitter's like, Yo! They were talking about us on the radio, dog. We got to him, man. Hey, we're getting at the same dude, dude. You and him? He points to the knife. You and this guy. You're on, like, the same page or whatever, man. So the knife just sort of shrugs for a second. He's like... He says that they... I forget what what voice I was doing for the knife, so I'm just not going to do it. Anyway, it's better that he has less character because he's not really a real person. So anyway, the knife tells Morgan that they, they snuck up to the Sept's headquarters, to their mansion, and he was able to interrogate, as he puts it, a member of their staff and... Uh, plucked some information from his mind that let him know where the rest of the Sept were, the members proper. So then they got close enough to them to sort of interfere. The Sept has been busy, apparently, running around the city trying to uh, buff up their tarnished public image by doing the work that the police department should be doing. They've been running around busily stopping minor crimes. But he and Spitter and Van Slyke apparently located Duke Disastro and sort of peeled him off. They started a brief skirmish with him, but just long enough for the knife to to pluck some information out of his mind. And then they uh, retreated. So they've been sort of trying to show up where the Sept shows up, engage them one-on-one, and just, like, draw them out, fuck with them. Uh, apparently Van Slyke is still doing that. Spitter's, Spitter goes... He was still fighting that sexy nun last time I saw him. Think he's into it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, they chose to... Uh, they find, they found out about the holding company, and they attacked that office. Um, the knife points back to a, a dumpster back down the alley and tells uh, uh, Sentinel that there's a, a bunch of documents there that they took from the office and uh, says that they they trashed that particular place. They left everything else in that building intact. They, they only struck the office of this holding company he sort of gives Spitter a, a nod, a, a look of grudging admiration, and says something to the effect of, I can't believe this kid ate that whole office. And Spitter's nodding and laughing, and he's like, yeah, I turned into all kinds of shit, dog. I was plastic. I was some kind of aluminum. I'm crazy as hell, yo. So Morgan starts to sort of lose the thread of the conversation at this point. Everything around him is starting to look a little blurry. He's able to keep his feet, but he's nodding off, slipping in and out of consciousness during the conversation. He's been running himself ragged for too long, and his body is starting to just shut down. 
apparently the knife can sense this because at one point, while Spitter is talking, bragging about their exploits, saying that now that they have this information, they can find out all the other holding companies, they can hit them too. They're going to take it to these fuckers, so on and so forth. The knife just holds up a hand and tells him he needs to be quiet and let Sentinel get some sleep. He tells Sentinel that he needs to go lie down before he kills himself. Maybe against his better judgment, or maybe against his insistence on doing otherwise, Morgan ends up listening to him. Heads back to the place where he usually crashes. On the way there, he thinks he hears a strange high-pitched noise. But he thinks nothing of it until he gets back inside the building. Just as he's about to nod off, he hears something like it again and then a terrific explosion from another part of the city. Morgan is fine with these people videoing him, you know, kind of like what he thought to himself before, you know, if if they need uh, a character to pin this on or, or what have you, the way that they're going about this, then he'll be the he'll be the poster boy. And he'll definitely make himself a target for the Sept, specifically for Duke Disastro. Uh, Before he leaves the meeting with Spitter and the Knife, uh, I guess they'll exchange contact information, or at least he'll, he'll probably be a little hesitant to give his out, but he'll, you know, want some way to get in contact with them, phone number or email or something like that if, if they're willing to give up the information. When he hears this boom goes off, sorry, let me say that without stumbling. When he hears this boom go off, he he's out of bed. Like, he probably, you know, had the suit already coming off or whatever and he's he's up because he knows that if he hears this he's he's not going to be able to lay back down you know he probably gets a a quick burst of adrenaline but he knows that he's on the the very edges of his stamina so I know mechanically this isn't exactly how this works, but he'll burn as many hero points as he needs to, you know, to uh, reduce fatigue, to stay on his feet. Um, He'll also swing by, you know, like on his way if he sees a convenience store or um, a vending machine or whatever, some of the money that he's acquired from the guy in the van um, from Victor Tactical he he'll use that to get some energy drinks and just pound those and use those as an artificial stimulant to keep him going at least and if the explosion is inside the sink then he's all on it if it's outside the area of the sink 
he will... He'd probably drink one of those, save one, you know, put it in like a pouch on his, his belt and have enough to get there to see what it's about. He'll do his normal approach of approaching cautiously, um, trying to quickly assess the situation without too much happening before he acts. If it's inside the sink, he's, he's all in. If it's outside the sink, If he gets there and he sees, or if he's approaching and he sees other heroes, he might peel off, um, depending on if there's smoke right. Actually, no, he wouldn't peel off. He'd say, fuck it. He'd go ahead and yellow jackets, monster energy drink, what the fuck ever. Uh, anything to keep him on his feet and going in and, and checking it out. Sentinel is up and out of bed like a bolt. The suit back on, back out the window. He stumbles a bit on the fire escape or the ladder or whatever it is. And he's down on the ground. People are staring past him, not at him, as he makes a dash up the street, dives into a convenience store, grabs a couple of the local brand Blue Bullet energy drinks, slaps a bill down on the counter, and dashes off. He gets back up on the roof and chugs one as he goes the rest of the way toward the explosion, and the sound of sirens keeps increasing the closer he gets. Morgan was expecting a plume of smoke, maybe an ongoing battle between metas or heroes of one type or another, but by the time he gets to the site, which is in the industrial district off the northern spur of the river, the river that flows north-south here. I don't know which one it is. We'll find out later <laughs> and edit it in. <laughs> uh, so he's in this industrial district that's on the west bank of this river. It's near a sort of up-and-coming Tony neighborhood, maybe the area that Val Ashcroft is trying to gentrify now. He knows that Greenwell has facilities throughout this area, and it appears to be one of those that's been attacked and badly damaged. There are some of those drones whizzing around in the air around the site, um, some of which look partially uh, you know, soot blackened or have like holes in them are, are partially functional. He sees a few of them just fall out of the air as he approaches, but in any case, Sentinel approaches cautiously so these drones don't bother him. And he sees that the facility um, is littered with a bunch of weird debris. There are these big piles of rock nearby. There are scorch marks on the exposed inside walls of the building. A bunch of what look like machine parts. Maybe 
the robotic arms of an assembly of some kind have been hurled against the walls. It almost looks like there was an epicenter of something that threw them all back. But he also sees a bunch of private security scurrying around, most of whom have, like, just arrived. There are a few others who are lying around, getting tended to by a couple of medics who are on the scene. It looks like a few of them got beat up, thrown around. One of them's lying in a puddle of water. Like a big, weird, incongruous pile of water. Puddle of water, not pile. You know what I'm saying. Water doesn't come in piles, Drew. So by the time he gets there, he's just witnessing the aftermath, essentially. And... I assume he would stick around long enough to try and learn something about what had happened, maybe spy on some of these private security goons. So he sneaks down a bit from the rooftop that he's conveniently perched on and gets close enough to overhear a few details. One of the private security guards who gets up, one of the ones who was injured has has been brought to his feet. Morgan overhears the medic on the scene, who is not, by the way, like a Stringersburg hospital person. There's some sort of private, from some kind of private service. He's even scanning him with some little high-tech doodad. But he's like, okay, now, I know I told you you have a concussion, and that's going to make it a little hard for you to remember. That might make it difficult, but... What can you tell us? And Morgan can see behind the two of them, where the injured guard can't see, is a guy in a suit who's got a little recording device in his hand. And the guard is like, okay, these two women came up, Jenkins, who was on the front gate. He said something about recognizing one of them. And then there was just this shriek, this just like terrible sound. A bunch of guys fell over. And then they ran in. The gate just sort of blew down. There was this gust of wind and they ran in here. There were some other guys with them. They're from one of those gangs, you know, the the guys with the elbows. The man in the suit behind him appears to not be able to help himself. And he says, are you saying the Flaming Hellbow Clan was here? And the guard kind of sluggishly whirls around and is just like, yes, sir, that's correct. Morgan can see a change come over his face. From that point on, the guard is much more cautious with his statements. He's starting to run CYA and just try to say things that will damn him and his fellow private security people as little as possible. So he gets real cagey and not a lot more information comes up. But not long after that interview that he's overhearing starts to go south. Morgan hears another sound coming from 
the the main the nearest main road it is a bunch of sirens but it is accompanied by a a voice projected in a particular sort of electronic way that he thinks he recognizes so he hears sirens coming and then he hears someone over a weirdly crisp uh, high-tech bullhorn saying this is a private facility and the situation is under control you're not needed here thank you for your service but the situation I repeat is under control and your intervention is not needed please turn around I imagine this would interest him so I assume he goes that way he sees a standoff between Stringersburg Police Department, who are suddenly out in force, and a bunch of black, you know, SUVs and Lincoln Town Car type vehicles with tinted windows, really sleek builds on these vehicles, don't look like anything else on the road. They've formed a sort of barrier across the main road that would bring anybody to where this uh, damaged facility is. Morgan can see he's behind this. On the other side, he can see the SPD cars have pulled up and formed their own wall across the same road, although he gets up a little higher and can see some of them are fanning out behind this barrier to try and use side streets to get around. The black high-tech cars are doing the same thing, playing this sort of... Uh, the black cars seem to be sort of playing Tetris, like plugging gaps that these cop cars might get through. But at one point, he looks back to the sort of main area where the standoff is, and he sees three of the high-tech black cars peel off and head towards the facility. And Morgan has some knowledge at this point of what it is to be sort of a little too conveniently hard to notice. One of the cars is like that. So he is not surprised when the car pulls up to the site and Greg Greenwell gets out of it. He is, of course, immediately surrounded by a wedge of security guards. They look like they have no tech at all, from this distance anyway. But he observes Greenwell enter the site and try to be inconspicuous at first, but within a few minutes, everybody of any importance has dashed over to his side to sort of like make obeisance. They all seem to be apologizing profusely and assuring him of this and that. And at one point, Morgan sees him just shake his head once and hold up one finger on his right hand. And everyone shuts up and stops talking. He can even, even though at this point he's back a couple stories up on a building a little ways away, he can even faintly hear over the noise of work crews already starting to repair the facility and get stuff out of the way. He can make out a couple of words of what Greenwell's saying. One of them is unacceptable. 
and another phrase he hears is, get me the logs. So at this point, since there's no immediate conflict, and since his second blue bullet is starting to wear off, I'm going to assume that Morgan heads home to his little hideout, gets some sleep, and we will begin day five with the news.